You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Okay, uh, good morning, good afternoon, everyone. It's Across the Rumverse, episode 25, and it's freezing over here. We've got white white January uh, over here in London, which may be the reason for these uh, early connection problems we've been experiencing, but hopefully we get everything nice and smooth this time around. We're tuning in to recap the doubleheader this past week against Spezia, none other than Spezia, Roma's nemesis club, the birth site of former president Flora Viola, and uh, yeah, they came back to haunt Roma in a way this week. Uh, Roma had some some ghosts to put away from the, from the past. Could they do it in the cup and the league? Well, it was a bit of a mixed answer there. Uh, the Gialrossi were heading into yesterday's league match against Spezia in Serie A, coming off the back of a humiliating week where they were demolished by Lazio in Dari del Capitale 3-0. No one ever likes to hear a result like that. And then further, further to that, during the midweek, they had the cup header against Betsia, where they eventually lost that game 4-2 in extra time. But officially, that goes down as a 3-0 loss again to Spezia because Roma made one too many substitutions on the day. So if you've ever lived through the season as a Roma fan, you can always tell future generations that you've seen Roma default two matches 3-0 in one season. And that has to be a bit of a, a, bit of a history maker there. Um, this this weekend's game in the league in Serie A was the first league meeting between Roma and Spezia, teams who played each other only but twice before, and Roma have lost both of them once in 2015 in the Cup, and then this week, this past Wednesday, in the Cup again. So could Roma finally put to end their, their hoodoo against Spezia and finally strike and, and you know start to win against this this club? That's, well, you know, where, they, where have they come from? They've come out of nowhere. But um, Roma came into this game in desperate need of a win to get their reputation back on track to restore chaos or, or sorry, restore order with the fans. And uh, most of all, the guy who needed the, the win the most was Paolo Fonseca, whose job has been back in question. Uh, the headlines have you know, made another U-turn. They've, now you see all the sites coming up with all the problems that are, that are creeping out of nowhere from the dressing room and, and with the formation and the tactics and suddenly everything's wrong. We know how it works in Rome. You know, you lose one game and nothing's going right. So it was, you know, as if as if a match against Spezia isn't already a must win by default. It was definitely, this was a must, must win for Fonseca. And uh, he had to field questions about convenient absences from the starting out this weekend because Throughout the midweek after the cup lost, there were rumors of a bust up of the dressing room revolt of players uh, really taking issue with the club's decision to sack chief global officers. And this uh, player revolt apparently came about because of the sacking of chief global sport officer Gombar. Uh, I did job title up. That was really what his job title was at the club, even though he was essentially from what we understand, a team manager. But he was one of the lads in the gesture room. He's been around for many years. Uh, even some members on the Chiesa de Totti forum have stories about having met up with him in preseason and how he's, you know, he's very much a protector of the dressing room. But he got the can. He carried the can for the mistake for that, that six substitutions error in midweek that cost Roma the match by default. And the players weren't happy about it, about him being the fall guy. Um, the fallout from that was that 
Roma went into this match with Mkhitaryan injured, Jekyll injured officially, Antonio Morante injured, Pedro injured, and Gianluca Mancini suspended through a yellow card accumulation. So that was a, a starting eleven that was the youngest since 2000, May 2014, 25th of May 2014 to be specific, where by then the, the league was already dead and buried. Juve had won the title, so Roma fielded a experimental formation under Rudy Garcia back in the day. But this match meant more than ever. You know, three points were there to be won. And uh, Roma Field is a, a young starting lineup of 24, 25 years, and um, I believe it was 12, no, it was something like that, 20, something just over 25 years, uh, youngest for well over six years now. Um, and the thin bench of mostly Primavera players, we saw Darboe and Pogdorianu and others lining up, uh, sorry, warming up on the touchline as the match went on. But the final score was. Roma came through at the very death with a 4-3 win after leading most of the match. Um, the young guns came through. The Jalarossi stuck struck early through Borja Megal in the 17th minute. A lovely pass from Lorenzo Pellegrini set him up for a point-blank finish. And that was pretty important for him considering all the key-cut key chances he missed midweek against Spezia. So he came back with a vengeance. But Spezia took less than six minutes to level up as Roberto Piccoli uh, pounced on chaos at the other end where there was a pandemonium broke out between Max Kumbula, Chris Morning, and Paolo Lopez and we'll talk about that much later well we'll get into that a lot later on but uh, the, the half ended with one all with Roma really dominating the match but having you know not not the scoreline to show for it coming into half time so would they come out in the second half and get their heads down would would the doubts creep in once again no, Roma came out strong. It took 10 minutes in the second half, but they still got uh, Borja Miral back on the score sheet where he did a bit of a solo effort, really, but um, nice nice link-up play in, in the build-up to it still. Uh, and then they would only wait another three minutes before Rick Karsdorp struck uh, from, yet again, another team move, which is mostly fruit of Spinazzola and, and Miral linking down the, the other flank. But uh, in the end, Karsdorp put on the finishing touch on that one. And uh, unfortunately, they were, they were pegged back just minutes later again by Spezia, who struck through substitute Diego Farias. Um, and then that put the, the, the final half hours of that game on the knife edge, where could Roma hang out for the, hang out for the win? Could they keep their, their lead or would Spezia strike at the death? The answer is yes to both. Uh, Spezia did strike at the death. They, they scored in the very last minute of normal time through none other than, stop me if you've heard this before, Daniele Verde, uh, scoring for Spezia. He, of the cup winner midweek, struck yet again against Roma twice in a week um, to level the match at 3-all right at the very, in the very last minute of the game. But if you thought that was the end of the story, as I wrote yesterday on the site, you should have stayed tuned right to the very end because Roma... This young Roma side uh, struck back. They showed nerve in extra time after getting pegged right at the end. They hit back in the 92nd minute through none other than captain Lorenzo Pellegrini for the winner, 4-3. Um, that's a lot of talking from me. So, Steve, I'm going to ask you, um, what was the what were the biggest positives you, you, you took out of this game? I mean, Boy Real has to be has to be one of them after the, the cup game he had midweek. Uh, getting getting a brace this weekend must be pretty important as far as this season goes, right? Yeah, I mean, first first and foremost is the three points because when they gave up that third goal, I was over here, you know, cursing my head yeah. off because that was, you know, would have been an awful way to drop two points in a match that Roma desperately needed. But Myral was certainly one of the players that stood out Pellegrini stood out to me um, wearing the captain's armband and we'll get more into to his role a little bit later but yeah my role on the double was big I thought the early goal helped build up his confidence um, mm -hmm. because he had a rough he had a rough week I didn't get to watch the whole cup match I only caught the end which was the worst part to catch uh, you know <laughs> yeah. after work but um, you know I saw the highlights and he missed some sitters Roma could have easily won in regular time as many people commented on social media and and you know places I read that you know, should never go on the extra time where they had to make the sixth substitution and so on and so forth yeah. because players like Myral had plenty of chances. So it was good to see a young player um, still confident coming in, getting that early goal. Pellegrini put the first one on a plate for him, made it pretty easy for him to score. And um, from there on, he had, a, he had a very strong match and then scored the second goal as well. So definitely a positive sign. I mean, 
it's great to see him scoring goals. That's what he was brought here to do. And it's what we really have lacked from a, a quote unquote backup striker the past few years. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, have, I've have the Hellas Napoli match on here in the background and who's starting up front for Hellas, but Nikola Kalinic. So I'd much rather have Meyer all here these days than Kalinic. I have to say. Well, we say that, but I actually did a bit of digging last uh, yesterday evening in terms of like comparing Mayoral's uh, minutes per goal ratio against all you know, all the strikers in history, backups included. And Nikola Kandic actually came up with a very respectable um, 170 minutes per goal uh, ratio last season for Roma, which is really not bad at all. It's just within, I believe when I, when I ended up stacking up the whole list, it was within the top 20 of, of Roma's history. Um, but of course, it's... It's hard to compare players across different areas because, as we know, Serie A has changed a lot. They, mm-hmm. you, know, you have teams pushing up and trying to win the ball as early as possible nowadays as, as a standard in the league, whereas back then, uh, uh, you know, people like Puzo and Volo were playing against closed defences. So yeah. it's, you know, it, it can be misleading to, to just you know tally all up into a list. But none other than Borja Meral came in second in the all-time list with his current Serie A average wow. of, uh, I think it's 80, 80 minutes per goal. Um, and uh, guess who was ahead of him? One guy, uh, Totti. Yep, <laughs> yeah. I, I, safe bet, so, I guess, when you have to take a gander at goal scoring at Roma. <laughs> so that, that was Totti in 2015 16, an old man by then, but uh, he mm. put in a hell of a season under Garcia slash Belletti, where he he came out with the, the most prolific season that anyone's ever seen in a Roma shirt. Um, but as this season so far, well, has this recent outing from Boyd both of them really, you know, the ups and the downs of them. Have, have you, has it given you more confidence in him? Has it changed your view of him at all? Yeah, I mean, when they brought him in in um, September, I didn't know much about him. You know, I know he was a Real Madrid product, which uh, always sounds good on the surface, but we see what happens with some of these Barcelona products like Carlos Perez that don't live up to the billing so quickly. Um, so, you know, I had some my reservations not really knowing much about him. I you know, I was, I'm a big fan of John Lucas Kamaka, as we've talked about. So when I saw those rumors pop up and then it was my role that came, I was, you know, I had, like I said, had my reservations and early on. Anti-climax. Yeah, anti-climax. He, yeah. he didn't look the greatest early on, but he's really starting to show why Roma pursued him on that, you know, two-year loan with option to buy because he looks like he knows how to find, find the goal. He's not the most flashy player, but he's pretty good in the buildup I've noticed playing off players and and he's yeah he's putting the ball in the back of the net which is what matters most when you're playing strike that, that's that's been my gripe in terms of being very defensive about, about how he's been perceived is that when when Jekko doesn't score um I, I probably mentioned this before but like you know we can't put the, the reasoning that when Jekko doesn't score okay look up the build-up play and, and what mm-hmm. he does you know for the team the mineral is not short in the area at all you know he he even he saw in his play yesterday, he he knows how to get involved. He knows how to drag defenders with him so he can make space for others to, to move in behind him. And then if he if he has to score a goal, normally he knows how to make himself uh, free to, to get those clear-cut mm-hmm. chances thanks to his movement. You know, he, he he will have a clanger like the one against Spezia and, and his debut where he, he'll draw blanks every now and then. But what striker doesn't? You know, I could I could uh, look up the highlights of Edin Kinvani um, missing like six clear-cut chances for PSG in in a week, like uh, that was like a couple of years ago. But that was when that was when Cavani was in his prime and like really on top of the world. But um, uh, you know, it happens to everyone, the best of them. So I mean, I, I'm I even thinking back to the most solid days. He missed plenty of sitters for Roma yeah. in, in in his days. But yeah. it was when I was first dating my wife, and she would just she's like, "All this guy does is miss and make faces when he misses." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. It's uh, it can happen to everyone. And after after the cup game, I read all sorts of comments like, "This is why Meral doesn't get in the starting lineup." I just I just thought, no, uh, you know the one the cup game where he missed the bunch of sitters. And again, I've no defense for him because, as you said, he had that chance right at the end where he could have settled the match and we could have we'd be talking about nothing. But you know, going through the next round of the Copper, but that match was uncharacteristic of what we've seen from Eero so far, which is that he's actually been prolific and clinical in front of goal. Mm. Um, but, you know, even someone like him can have a, a stinker midweek. But I agree with you. A great uh, comeback performance for him to just put it behind him and, and get on with, with the goals like he usually does. Um, but uh, Mayoral's opening goal wasn't uh, wasn't enough for Roma. It, you know, it would be a, a roller coaster match with back and forth between Spezia yesterday. Uh, what do you make of Spezia's first equalizer? For me, that, that was the biggest aberration in terms of oh, Roma mistakes. Man. Yeah, I mean, Roma had some big mistakes on a couple of the goals yesterday. This was the biggest because 
you know, Kambula went to head it out, hit Smalling. You know, it happens from time to time. It's not, I don't really blame Kambula too much when you head the ball away from goal and there's a lot of bodies it could happen. Um, and Smalling kind of wrong place at wrong time. But then everything just went crazy in the box where, you know, somehow it fell back to Spezzi and they, a, it was not even a, a cross. It was like a ball that rolled through the box kind of slowly. And Lopez looked like, I think, I don't know if it was uh, Bren on, on our account or somebody, it was like, uh, Lopez looked like a, a newborn giraffe where, you know, the oh, giraffe that, that of, was me. That was you. That was you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember it was one of you too. And uh, <laughs> I think I, I didn't, I didn't, week. I didn't originally make the comment, but I, I laughed so hard at it for so long that I had to retweet it. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was great because that's exactly what it looked like. He was kind of like sideways, couldn't get down to pick it up and it rolled and yeah. equally was there. And it was the easiest goal anybody would ever score. Yeah. Um, credit to him for being in the right place at the right time, I guess. But geez, Lopez, <laughs> you know, after a couple pretty strong matches against Lazio and Inter, where he bailed us out against Inter, you know, to get that point yeah. in a few key yeah. spots on quick reflex saves, just looked like a, a disaster on that goal. I like on a rolling ball that you know probably someone playing you know third grade rec league could pick the ball up. So. Yeah. Um, that, that, what what jarred me about it was that you, know, you say he's there at the right place, the right time, but the the trajectory of the ball was actually um, it was less dangerous before he touched it than after he did. Yeah. Because he, the yeah. only thing he did was actually make it really make easy it for easy. the striker. Yeah. You know, to put it on the plate for Piccoli. So it, like it just like the thought went from my head after the goal. Like I I literally thought we would be better off if Palopez just didn't touch the ball. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's that's not the first time I've thought about, about him. And that's when I, I really gave up on him. Like, I felt like all my hope for his career just, like, left my body after that yeah. goal. I just thought, I, I keep thinking about about this this guy that I don't want him touching the ball. And uh, even in the second half, it, it looked like it became a special tactic to just launch it up front and get it into Lopez's hands because then, you know, the odds are he's going to make a mistake. It's going to favor Spezia. So, yeah, yeah. It, it reminds me of uh, in hockey too, when, you know, you see a team that's not shooting a puck and it's just like, shoot the puck, put the puck on net because sooner or later you're going to get those rebounds and someone's going to yeah. put a rebound in. And I guess, you know, it, you don't see it as much in, in soccer, calcio football, whatever you want to call it, because it's a different kind of, of sport with a bigger net, bigger ball. And, yeah. you know, it's easier, harder to get those rebounds in front of the yeah. net, but yeah, I mean, when you have a goalie like Lopez, who's, when he does make a punch or a save, sometimes it goes right back down the middle of the box. Might as well put shots on goal at him. If you give him a hard shot that he can't catch, you know, there's yeah. he's liable to put it in someone's path and they can just knock it in. Yeah. Um, but are this, we are we are we focusing too much on on Lopez here, or do, where, where do you, how much do you portion blame for along Kumbula, Smalling, and Lopez? Uh, on that particular goal, I think Lopez was the most guilty just because of the way the ball found him. Like I said, Kambula, I don't blame him as much as the other two on that play or even Smalling as much because when you head a ball out, like I said, it, it, it can hit a body. There's a lot of bodies in the box. It can hit someone small and wrong place, wrong time. But then Lopez had, I thought, plenty of time to just pick it up. Um, yeah. But he kind of lost his, his footing, like his balance. I don't know what was going on there. And that's what led to that easy tap in. So I think on this goal, it is on him. Do you know who I feel is getting away scot-free without any blame here, even though he should be? Who is who's mar who's supposed to be marking Peakley? Rick Karsdorp. Karsdorp. <laughs> At the far post, I mean, it's 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 we see it's a recurring theme throughout this uh throughout the season. And we'll we'll get onto this right now, but Roma's defensive errors. I think mm -hmm. one one of them is that not enough people actually get back and yes. and uh, give you know give enough credit to the danger that's on goal mm -hmm. at the time. And uh we saw uh by the time Peakley was fit, you know, had had the whole world at his feet and had all, all the time in the world to finish. Um, Karlsdorp was only just running off the, on the edge of the screen, um, nowhere near where he should be, or you know, if, if he actually defended once in a while. Yeah. So uh, what 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 are we to say? What's what's the narrative we're going to spin from from all these individual errors leading to goals? We've seen Inter individual mistakes uh, costing goals. Lazio again, Spezia now, but um, it's a, it's a recurring thing this season because. Um, Roma's defense is actually one of the top five in the leagues in terms of uh, keeping away average danger. They, they don't concede that many uh, goals expected against. But when they do, 
it turns out that they concede nothing but clear-cut chances. It's not yeah. like they, they concede half chances. It's yeah, they, they really put it on a plate for opponents. So what, what what do you make of this? What's the story behind this? I mean, first, I'm glad you kind of brought up the car's door point because that's something that gets lost to a lot of people, including myself yesterday. I didn't even think of that because, you know, it was such an egregious mistake by Lopez that you don't even think anything about that back post coverage. And I don't know if that's the same thing. And with the type of keepers we've had and keeper mistakes, the defenders should all be tracking back hard. Like you should be like, okay, I can't, as bad as it sounds, you really can't trust your keeper to make that, you know, casual save or, you know, clearance or pick up the cross, whatever. Um, So Karsdorp should be tracking back harder. But I I wonder if in Karsdorp's mind too, it was a broken play and then all of a sudden it's rolling to Lopez and it looks like it's an easy pickup for him that Karsdorp kind of turned off, which like I said, you shouldn't do. That's a good point. That's a good no, it's point. like, okay, my yeah. keeper's got it. And then he doesn't yeah. have it. And you're like, oh shit, now the ball's in the back of the net. Yeah. Um, and I thought that's, that that's, was... That's, that's a very good point. Because you might be thinking, okay, Lopez might want to immediately launch out to me. So yeah. I'll, I'll just turn the other way. And yeah. I think with the system we have where we're playing with those wing backs rather than fullbacks, those wing backs are two of our main attacking threats yeah. down, down, yeah. The, down the wings, yeah. obviously. Right. And they yeah. both look to get forward and get forward hard and they do it well. So I wonder if that has something to do with it too. Kind of that mentality that is being created that's a very good point um and before i get into the individual errors that i thought that was such a key moment giving up that goal right away um it really tested roma i thought because you know they were coming off the back-to-back losses including to spezia and i when we scored the first goal 17 minutes in i said oh good we're bouncing back you know this is a match where we we need to come out and just hammer this team now and just build our confidence up and then there it is five minutes later a a a silly goal like this and Mm -hmm. and then you're in a then you're in a dog fight for 90 minutes again um, but yeah. I think the individual errors are huge. I mean, I know the the manager takes so much blame and Fonseca was apparently close to being on the chopping block and then Pinto, uh, you know, convinced the Friedkins to keep him around for longer as from one of the, some of the reports I read. Yeah. And I didn't want Fonseca to be gone because I think when you're in the middle of a top four fight, as, as bad as some of the results have been in big matches, which which really stings and looks bad on paper and you're perception around the league certainly can't be good like if you're the freakings you're like man we just took over this team and we get hammered almost every yeah. time we play a big team um yeah. it's not good for the perception but you know after this win 37 points i think is only the fourth time in recent history that roma's had over over 37 37 or more points at the midway right. point the, okay. the results have been pretty good overall like we said it's just yeah. you know finding the way but i think and, the individual as, as, so as as you're saying, also that the midseason changes have, have never really no, paid off for us. We saw no. we saw with Di Francesco, eighteen nineteen, uh, Claudio Ranieri came in, and maybe the club saved face because the results under Di Francesco were bad towards the end. Yeah. But still, the the Roma started collecting even less points from from the new coach than they were from the old one. Yeah. And again, uh, you know, I just brought up earlier that fifteen sixteen season where uh, we say you know Spalletti got us into Europe and saved us from Rudy Garcia going off track, but Again, it, it was really down to one player, Francesco Totti, coming off the bench to, mm-hmm. to really freshen things up. So, yeah, it, it rarely ever mid season uh, changes in coaches have, have rarely ever paid off for Roma in terms of being in a bit of a top four battle, like you're saying. Yeah. So, yeah. I think the, the the managerial changes, and I'll get into those individual areas in a second. I think the managerial changes work better for those teams fighting relegation who yeah. bring in a coach who's done that before to avoid relegation. Like we've seen Genoa make that move to, um, uh Ballardini again and they've kind of started to right the ship and creep their way out of the yeah. relegation zone like that's a guy who's been there done that and he knows how to just push the right buttons to get a point here point there whereas Roman yeah. needs three points in these matches they you know Ranieri we love Ranieri he was a great caretaker and that year under Fran- Di Francesco was awful the I, I remember mm-hmm. seeing the it was like the last 10 years of Roma points at the midway point and I think that season was the lowest or close to the lowest so like that year I think the change ended up being justified because at least Ranieri kept him in the, the top four battle for a while. But um, I, I, could, I definitely understand it on an emotional level. Yeah. yeah. Um, but going back to the individual errors, I, I think those are more to blame than anything Fonseca has done the past few matches. Um, yeah. Because when you have Ibanez just basically giving away two goals against Lazio, like no matter who the manager is, it's hard to come back from that, from a, a mental mm-hmm. standpoint as a team, from, you know, Lazio's a good enough team at, playing their game they're not some bum team at the bottom of the table or if you give up a goal it's easy enough to bounce back against them um same thing in in the in the cup match i mean cristante early penalty kick i i wasn't watching the match at that point but 
I had, I was checking the, you know, the game tracker every so often. And, you know, here it is. There you give away a that goal. Was, uh, that was Mancini, wasn't it? it was, uh, no, I think Cristante was the one that gave up the penalty. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. They were both involved. Yeah. But it was eventually Cristante. Starts yeah. With the he's the one that yeah. stuck the leg out or whatever. And then, and then yesterday, you know, between the, the Lopez error on the first one, and then we'll get to the, the last one soon, the Smalling mm-hmm. error was egregious on that one, too. I mean, yeah, he just kind of that play I texted my buddy who's uh who's actually a Lazio fan but you know we text about most of the games that we're watching and I texted him I said are you watching he wasn't watching that match in particular and I said you know the smalling error reminded me of like when we used to play rec league soccer matches or pickup matches and you know I hadn't played growing up so I was you know I I would play in the back and I wasn't very coordinated because I hadn't been playing with a you know I I grew up playing baseball and sports like that you were a newborn giraffe? Yeah, basically. So, you know, <laughs> I, I would have some of those whiffs and they would, my friends would, you know, break my chops. They're like, oh, you know, Steve whiffed on that one. And and that's what yeah. it reminded me of. And I'm like, this guy's, you know, was our best defender last year. He's played for Manchester yeah. United, the English national team, and now Roma. And he's whiffing like that. And you just, you know, give Verdi a goal, basically. You could waltz in and then beat Lopez. So, yeah, like, so, errors so it, like that, it doesn't matter what Fonseca does. Yeah, it's always concerning when the professionals you look up to actually remind you of yourself. Thinking <laughs> yeah. that. I, I watch TV at the weekend to escape reality, not not to bring. Yeah, back. like yeah. I, I I want to marvel at the crossfield passes that these guys can make and then bring down at this the you know the drop of a, a hat they could just pull it right down. I don't want to see them whiffing on these balls. And you know it's funny because I'm watching the Hellas Napoli match, like I mentioned, and Napoli scored seven seconds in on a Feder- Federico De Marco kind of did the same thing where he got turned around the wrong way, like an outfielder in baseball and the ball got behind him and Lozano scored. So, yeah. you know, it happens to other teams too, but to see Smalling do it was particularly concerning because he's usually our, our rock in the back these past two yeah. seasons. So can, can the, can these individual errors completely be divorced from, from the coach though? Cause some you know, critics would say um, a lot of people love, like they love to put everything under the umbrella of the coach can do better, mm-hmm. which I, I find excessive. Um, you know, not everything is down to being a, you know, an armchair coach and knowing you can do things better ahead of time. Some, some, you know, a lot, a lot of the game is down to chance and down to the human mm-hmm. element, and you just don't have any control over that. But when, when you've got a Roma team like this, which, okay, is generally not conceding much danger on the goal, but when they do, it's always clear-cut chances or individual errors. And they've got, you've got a Roma team where the attack is creating so many goal chances. They're second in the league in terms of, in terms of creating danger on, on the opponent's goal, but they have a finishing problem. Like they're not that um, clinical when it comes to finishing all the goal chances they make in general. That comes down to mentality, doesn't it? And isn't that doesn't that lay at the coach's door somewhat? I think some of it, uh, especially um, with you know the tactics. Like we saw the the screen yard goal against Inter, that zonal marking that comes down to the manager. I think things like that. But you know, I'll use Jeko as an example because he's been here through many different managers now and the same things that plague him now in front of goal have plagued him throughout his career as great of a goal scorer as he is. He misses plenty of chances. We know that he's a volume shooter in order to score his goals. Um, so I think some of it can come down to Fonseca, but when you see Smalling whiff on a ball like that, or Lopez, you know, I mean, what, what other options does he have? Maybe play Daniel Fusato next match <laughs> if he really wanted to, but I don't think he goes down that route just because he's inexperienced, you know? So well, he, can, can, he does, does he not have the option to make the team more conservative? Because I mean, he, one, one of the things I pointed out was not enough players getting back. And true. that's from Fonseca saying it midweek as well. Yes. So, you know, you wonder, and, and even you brought it up last week with, um, you, you know, you mentioned and I, I agree with you that the midfield doesn't do the best job of working mm-hmm. with the defense to defend as a team. So when you know that you've had, you have these problems with the, the team clicking defensively, they're you know, not big problems, but they're still there. One and a half seasons on the tenure. And that, that might call for being a bit more conservative, maybe bring yeah. some more uh, man marking or keep the body back. You know? Yeah, especially maybe at like 3-1. Um, yeah. You know, the that goal wasn't so much down to an individual error from what I remember. That was more of just a good goal in Fadi's part, I believe, from what I remember. But um, yeah, maybe once you're up 3-1, you know, turn it down just a notch in uh, how fast you want Spinazzola and Karzor pushing down the wings or, or things like that. That's a good point because, you know, at three, two, I could see that you don't want to be super conservative because you might need that fourth goal, which they yeah. did. But after they conceded, um, you might want to defend a little bit better. Uh, especially because some of the matches that we've seen get out of hand this year. Yes. Roma needed goals, but 
Also, if they defend a little bit better, they're in the Napoli match or the Atalanta match longer to get the chance to score that goal that might get them back in the match. So I think that's a good point too. Um, We know Fonseca came with the attacking mentality from Shakhtar and defense was always a concern of ours from early on last year. And then they kind of started to change that narrative a bit and they started defending well. And like you said, we don't give up a lot of expected goals opportunities. Um, We have one of those better numbers, despite how many goals we have given up. Um, But usually against the smaller teams, we don't give up three goals this year. Normally it's the bigger team. So that's, that was concerning today. Um, A lot of, players going through rough patches i think in the the center back position which is concerning you know smalling yesterday ibanez against lazio um mancini now kind of not piling up the yellow cards but he was suspended for yellow cards and had a red midweek which i complimented him earlier in the season for kind of cleaning up his game a bit so i guess he's still got yeah. some work to do there i still <laughs> you know i still love him as a player but i think he's got to kind of check it down just a little bit how his that aggression like the aggression is a big part of his his game but um like midweek don't don't go and get yourself that second yellow card in the in the copa you know that that's a that's a play he doesn't have to make so and then even kambula in the copa had the clearance that went right to a spezia player which led directly to a goal so they've all had their their mistakes in the past just two three matches so um you know if roma can get that corrected i i love our four center backs that we have i think it's a great four players to be rotating in a three-man back line i think they just have to to get that in in check so yeah Hopefully we start okay. to cut back on those with teams like Juve coming well, up. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that, Juve just won this morning, so that, they're mm-hmm. right behind us. And, uh, yep. yeah, that makes the, the match against Juve you know, coming up uh, more important than ever. But, um, yeah, stay, sticking back on the mentality point for a little bit, uh, we'll combine the next next two things we're going to bring up because they're, they're both generally the same ballpark, which is uh, good signs from Roma in terms of uh, mental fortitude and, and keeping their nerve. Um, we saw a strong opening to the second half yesterday, even if it was against a, a bottom of the table, uh, sorry, bottom half of the table side. And uh, we saw Roma bouncing back from that three-three setback to score in injury time. Um, so, what do you make of Roma's determination there? Is that a cause for heart? Uh, that was that was good to see, I will say, because it it would have been so easy to hang their heads after that third goal and just, especially in extra time and a short extra time of only three minutes, not a five or six minute added yeah. time. Um, where you're not going to have many chances to create. And they created right away. They kind of came right back two minutes later and put the goal in. So that was great to see. Um, So that speaks a little bit to the mentality change that we may, you know, as bad as we've seen some things this year, that that speaks to a little bit of a stronger mentality than we've seen some other seasons where I think they, you know, most seasons you don't get a goal, maybe even other matches this season. But I think it was good to see, especially with the younger side on the field, I, I hate to say it, but it's something I would never see from a Luciano Spalletti team. Yes, that I agree. It, they would never come back from that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the, that mentality was not there in the past. And it's something I, I've, I've liked under Fonseca. He seems to be building that at least in, in some mm-hmm. way, especially with the younger players and the players who are kind of downtrodden, like the Karsdorps, like the Spinazzolas. Like he's starting to build up more of a positive mentality for players like that, I think, which is important for Roma because um, they've yeah. turned into key players. And then the, the second part of that, like you had mentioned was when they scored the winning goal, I think one of the, to come some of the iconic shots I saw, um, you know, across, you know, the internet yesterday were uh, yeah. definitely Pellegrini hugging Fonseca because, yeah. you know, just two days ago, there was the rumors that Fonseca, uh, Fonseca was not, you know, in the best uh, favor <laughs> of Pellegrini and Jekko, especially who are our captain and vice captain right now. And I yeah. think Pellegrini, and I don't know if that's why Pellegrini did it, just to show that the team is unified. Him hugging, I think Fonseca was a, a, a big, big thing. Well, Fonseca more or less made his mind up for him because he ran, ran the whole length of the touchline <laughs> to, to go meet him. Yeah, so he, <laughs> Pellegrini had no choice. But to it might have been, it, yeah, it might have been Fonseca <laughs> saying, "Thanks for saving my my skin yeah. again." But yeah. I, and um, I think the other thing was I saw another shot which you don't really see on TV, but it was. Every player, either the injured players, the Primavera players who are on the bench, the suspended players like Mancini, were all, you know, out of their seat screaming and cheering. And Dzeko had a big smile on his face when Pellegrini scored the goal. Um, So I think that... Even Javier Pastore. Yeah. Very animated. I think that plays down the narrative that, you know, Dzeko wants out or, you know, Dzeko and Fonseca don't get along. Because if Dzeko really wanted Fonseca out, I don't know if he's cheering that goal so hard, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, because he yeah. knows if Fonseca loses or doesn't win, then maybe he's gone. So I, I, I don't buy. I think the media creates a lot of things, especially in Rome. Um, Me neither. 
we've talked yeah. about this. I mean, yeah. Fonseca seems like a pretty likable guy. I don't think, you know, Jekko's had his problems with managers. We've know like he's not the, you know, his demeanor on the pitch doesn't always show that he cares the most, but I, I think deep down Jekko loves Roma after all these years. I think, you know, him sticking around as long as he has, I think kind of points to that. Yeah. And I think it was good I, to see him smiling when his good friend Pellegrini scored yesterday. Yeah. I mean, I mean maybe I'm just projecting because I, I don't know Jekko from, you know, joining down the street, but right. I get the impression he's, um, he his way of showing he cares sometimes rub, rubs people the wrong way like he doesn't mm-hmm. know how to express it other than to be yes. antagonistic and to yes. get people um you know i'm very much like that sometimes as well and you know sometimes you gotta know when to give when to take you, know, mm-hmm. you can't always you know you have to sometimes meet people on their level not always expect them to understand you um i don't know how how much uh that that goes through jacko's head when he's the highest played player at the club you know that, that's very tempting to think that people should work on your terms and not the other way around mm-hmm. um but yeah I, I do agree that even in in the bad moments when jack was throwing a drop it's it's just because he cares that much yeah. about winning and for and for the club um i don't i don't buy into the fact that he's leaving but um nonetheless the stories this morning are still that jacko is rumored to be on the market now up for sale by the club and uh there were even rumors of a, a part a player exchange deal with uh Christian Eriksen at Inter, which would be, you know, some people's dream move, uh, but I doubt that's going to happen. Inter aren't going to take that deal, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, these these reports or these latest rumors are very poorly sourced. We only really have Il Tempo as the most reputable yeah. behind uh, some of these headlines. So it's it's thin for now. I think um, we'll keep an eye on it. But, uh, yeah, we saw very, very much a lot of players buying into the club yesterday, a lot of unity, as you said. Um, as I said, even... Javier Pastore this morning is making headlines for the way he you know, really let out a scream yesterday in celebration of Pellegrini's winner. And uh, that's the guy we'll turn to next. Uh, not Pastore, but Lorenzo Pellegrini, the uh, captain on the day. He came up with a goal and an assist. Uh, very rightly so. People are labeling a cap- captain's performance. The club in a time of need saw the number seven come up with the uh, the performance you want from someone to put the, put the club back on track. Um, Steve, I know you're a big Pellegrini fan, so am I, but I'll, I'll let you take it away on this one. Let let the praise unfold for Pellegrini. Yeah, I'll, I'll unfold the praise for Pellegrini, but before we do that, let's take a quick commercial break because we talked about oh, players sure. buying in, so we have to let our sponsors buy into the show. So we'll be yeah. back in just a minute talking about Pellegrini and some other key players. All right, so Pellegrini, I, I've, I've made it very clear I'm a big fan of Pellegrini. Um, you know, the first season he was back at the club or second season back at the club his jersey was the jersey I bought and I really like his game uh disappointed last season it was you know I would defend him as much as I could but he was hard to defend at times last year especially when he showed such good flashes uh two seasons ago um but this year he's really really stepping it up I believe yesterday's goal the winner was I think his fourth goal um of the season which for an attacking midfield is a pretty good haul for half of the season um he had another uh, assist, which I think was also his fourth. So four goals, four assists in 19 matches, not a bad, um, not a bad amount. And he's also what, what I loved yesterday and he was getting praise all over the place was he put in a captain's performance in that he might not have had his best statistical match in some ways, but mm-hmm. he showed the, the green that you want from a captain where he gritted his teeth at the end, put himself in a good position and was ice cold when he put that shot into the net. You know, we've seen players, uh, including him, miss, miss sitters like that in the past. And in a big moment, yeah. he, he put the ball in We're the back of the net. Yeah. yeah. You know, he's been known. I think, I don't think 12, 12 or 24 months ago, I would like be watching Pellegrini sky that shot over yeah. the bar. So, yeah. 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 What turned into an easy tap and certainly from about 12 yards out could have gone sailing over the bar from him. So um, he ended up earning man of the match praise with his goal assist. I also looked at the shots, you know, he kind of tried to will Roma to victory. I say he had six shots, four of them on target, um, mm-hmm. which he's been known to be more of an assist man so far in his Roma career. He's starting to take the bull by the horns in terms of shooting more, uh, which is yeah. good to see at times. Cause if you're playing attacking midfield, you know, that kind of three Cortista type role, you want to get some shots on target and keep defenses on. You can't always be passing the ball. Um, yeah. Just like the opposite, what I like about Mayoral is he will give up the ball sometimes and not take the shots, mm-hmm. and it opens up lanes for other players. So I think yeah. that has worked well, that combination between the two of them. Um, Pellegrini also had three dribbles. He was fouled five times. So uh, very, very strong match. Uh, you know, yeah, but- I, I I agree with you. I'm, I'm most happy that he's found – Pellegrini I'm talking about is found his shot back. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, like you said, if you – 
if you know the attack midfielder can be a passing threat and a goal threat, and the striker can be, uh, you know, uh, can join in the link up, but also running behind you, the defense never knows whether they, they mm -hmm. need to move back or push forward, and that creates chaos. Um, and that's what we saw yesterday. Um, you know, the, the Roman managed to make spaces all, all in behind and around Spetch's defense and, and between the lines. And uh, yeah, I saw Pellegrini take shots that maybe some people would call selfish, but I, I thought they were very opportune. Like some, uh, there was one in the first half where um, there wasn't really much on, uh, he, he could have looked for a pass either left or right, but he decided to sidestep a player and then try a little curler that went well wide in the end. But it was a, it was a really good idea, and, yeah. and just like it kept Spezia on on their toes in terms of oh my god, where where's the next danger coming from? So I like the fact that Pellegrini's got his scoring touch back. I feel that it was um, it was once again the ideal match for Pellegrini to to be the ideal player because Spezia um, were were very willing to play their own game. They never really dropped back, and and they were they were willing to give up space. So there was plenty of space for Pellegrini to you know to find his groove. Um, just one of those games where it was, it was things were set up for him to shine. But again, take nothing away from him. You know, you have to actually perform on the day, and he he did it in spades yesterday. So yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah, and he's turning into one of the key players for his team because I had mentioned in the probable formations that Mkhitaryan was the only player to start every match for Roma. Uh, yeah. The first eighteen, Pellegrini and Ibanez are the only two other players to have appeared in every um, Serie A match so far. So we see that you know he finds his way into the field week in week out 16 yeah. starts three three sub appearances playing, playing with an injury right now as well some heavy yeah. strapping on his left leg yes i noticed that yesterday too and just yeah. looking at his career stats and his best goal scoring season was at sassuolo um mm -hmm. before he came back to roma in 16 17 six goals six assists and 24 starts so he's on pace to break both of those yeah. stats and you know last year his was his assist high with nine but he only scored one goal so, you know, you almost would have traded a couple of those assists for goals last year, and he's starting to do that this year and make yeah. himself a more complete player, which is so good to see. We've mentioned he's he works a little bit harder defensively this year. You know, he's never going to be a, a De Rossi in the midfield or someone like that, but he mm -hmm. does put in the challenges now. I think he had three interceptions yesterday. He gets into those passing lanes better, too, I've noticed. He's starting to read other teams, I think, a little bit better, which is important because yeah. it's not always about putting in the big tackle, but getting into the the lanes and taking away passes and things like that. Yeah. So and, definitely and praise for him. Of, yeah. Praise for him and praise for his uh, the guy right ahead of him, Boja Meral, which mm -hmm. we, we've pretty much covered him already. But I guess the, the key question, the one that I asked you last week, and I'll, I'll bring it back again this week is, do you now make, after another two goal forms, do you now make Meral a starter or not? Yeah. And this was the note I had for a little bit later when we talk about next week, but that's going to be just a quick thing. So, it, it's a great question. If Jekyll is healthy next week, do you go with Myral against Hellas or do you play Jekyll? And I think in some ways I almost would play Myral because Hellas is a tight defensive team. Um, mm -hmm. I mentioned earlier, they gave up that goal seven seconds into the match today. That's like an aberration. That team does not give up goals. They have the second best defensive record in the league coming into today's match um, behind only Napoli who they're playing. And, and you know, I think he might be better at breaking down a tighter defense, you know, with his little runs that he can make in between those tight spaces and maybe team up with Pellegrini and hopefully Mkhitaryan will be back. And it, it could be worth a shot. And uh, I don't want Jekyll to be injured, especially with Juve two weeks away, because we might need him in some role in that match. But part of me almost hopes that Jekyll's fit enough for the bench, but not fit enough to start. So it almost forces Fonseca's hands. So yeah. that we can get a, a look because we we've seen Fonseca turn to Jekko regularly in 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 these matches, you know, outside of like a midweek Crotone. So what what do you think? Would would you start Myral? I think I know your answer. <laughs> you tell us. I think it's a, it's a given, isn't it? I yeah, mean, I've, I've been campaigning for Myral to start for for weeks now, and uh, I just feel that um, be, beyond the tactics, uh, how can you drop a, a guy who's who's giving you braces yeah. week after week? You yeah, know, it's like what 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 are you telling that player? What what does he have to do to actually stay in the starting lineup? Does he mm -hmm. have to score goals? He's doing that. Does he have to give assists? He's doing that. He, he you know he gave a second assist uh, for the for the castle goal yesterday where he, he linked up with Spinazzola on the wing. Three key passes. Back healed it. Yeah, three key passes. So he's he's part of the creation. You know, does he have to press? We discussed it before. He's doing it at a, a much higher rate than Edin Dzeko is. Um, you know, yes. the, what does he have to do? What, where, where is he lacking in terms of performance right now? You know, what, what, what do you tell a player when you tell him you're on the bench? You've done everything yeah. right. 
but you're not starting. And I, I just don't understand that. I don't, I don't know what conversation they have there. Um, obviously, Mera and Fonseca know more about football than I do, but I'd love to be sitting in on a conversation and, and understand how it goes down and how you accept a decision like that. So that, that's where it boils down for me. You know, uh, I think Mera has to start because he's married to that. Yeah. Um, it's, not, it's nothing against Jacko because I, I'd love the guy and uh, I really I love everything he's done for the club, but uh, I just feel Meral is giving more to the team right now. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I'm with you. I love Jekyll and what he's done for the club. And I'm not one of those people that's like run him out the door because we we see plenty of Roma fans that have wanted to run him out the door since year one when he was yeah. struggling. Um, yeah. Now he's a hundred goal scorer, but my role is doing so much. And I, I like how you mentioned the pressing because the pressing is so important and they're playing Hellas next week who, yes, they have a great defensive record, but they're down a bunch of center backs. DeMarco, who I mentioned on the mistake earlier, is actually playing as a third center back, kind of like Kolarov would do last year, but he's a left mm-hmm. wing back by trade. Um, yeah. So the fact that so they're you, playing... you want to get up in his face. You want to get yeah. up in his face and the other center yeah. backs, press them into mistakes possibly. And, you know, Myrall yeah. could, could do that where Dzeko, um isn't going to do that. You know, Dzeko's the, the more hold-up striker at this point in his career. Yeah. But, but I, I have to say this, I've seen some criticism for Jekyll on the forums where people say uh, Edin Jekyll doesn't press. But I want to I want to be clear that I don't think that it's the striker's job to press all mm-hmm. the time anyway. Um, you know, I wouldn't expect that even from Meral. I think that uh, we deliberately let teams play to the side so that we can trap them out in the wings. And yeah. the striker's just there to guide them there and make their mind up for them, you know, pass it left, pass it right. Mm-hmm. He's, he's just there to block the middle, but he's not there to to always run up in their face and try and rock the ball. You know, otherwise, yeah. you, you wouldn't last 90 minutes. But um, you know what? What we saw yesterday was uh, at some at a point in the second half, midway through the second half, Mera moved out to the left wing and let Pellegrini go to the middle so that Pellegrini could get a breather from pressing. And that that was a point I brought up before, yeah. which is that because you know that Mera has a legs, he can share some of the work. He can you know, he can be fluid and swap positions and and give other people a breather and and press out wide when he needs to. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that just helps the team last 90 minutes really more often than, than not. Um, other other than Merab Pellegrini, who we've, we've now shouted in praise, uh, rightfully so, there were the Roma wide players. Um, I guess we should start with uh, Leonardo, Leonardo Spinazzola most of all, because I, I even even you know I, I've I've come under the spotlight for criticism crit- criticizing him before, but I have to say he was devastating yesterday. So, yeah. Uh, what what do you make of him? Yeah, he had the first. Um you know, real touches in Roma's first possession of the match, just a few seconds in. And we saw him go right down that flank and take on three or four players and beat three or four players before his pass was finally cut out. And that was kind of like a signal of intent for me where he, you see, he felt good where I don't think he felt great against Lazio. He wasn't tracking back as hard as we we've seen from him this season. I think he was, he put in a much better all around performance yesterday. Um, You know, just he had three key passes and and he was just doing more than he's done in, in recent matches. So I think it's good to see him, him back. And he um, set up that last goal. It was a, a great team buildup on not the last goal, rather the third goal that Karsdorp scored. It was from wing back to wing back, which is always yeah. a, a, a great, you know, situation. Both, both, both of those were, there's rubber outflanking for both of the last two mm-hmm. goals. Where it was, yeah, it was Spinozola to first to Karsdorp for yeah. the third and then, and then to Bruno Perez for the, for the winner. Yeah, and I think here's the key stat with Spinazzola. I just looked six dribbles, six successful dribbles, double yeah. the next best, which was Pellegrini's three. And that's that's his role in the team is to tear down that left flank. And yeah, he did that yesterday. Good, good ones. I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe all the difference, maybe there's, there's no difference whatsoever, but, and I'm tricking myself, but sometimes Spinazzola's dribbling is just ill thought out from the beginning. Yeah. Or at least it looks that way. But yesterday, it, it was like he, Maybe the difference is just when when you pull it off, it looks good. But mm-hmm. he, he really he was pulling them off yesterday, and like he, he was breaking Spezia's lines. Like he was he was going for their midfield and their defense, and and like they didn't really know what hit them. Yeah, like they didn't really know how to try and close them out because he was just that good. Yeah. So you know when you when you're when you're you know when you're that classy on the ball as he was yesterday, you can dribble all day long. You know, I'll watch you, and I'll, I'll be happy. I'll be thrilled to death because. Spezia really didn't had no idea how to defend that that left wing. Some, someone yeah. called him unplayable yesterday, and I agree. He, Spinozola was unplayable. That just there was no closing him down whatsoever. Yeah, um, and when he's unplayable, yeah. Rome was so much harder to stop. Yeah, exactly. It also must have made Rick Karsdorp's job easier than down the uh, down the right side. So, what would you make of Rick Karsdorp scoring his first goal for Roma in a in a yeah in a Jalosti jersey? 
Oh wow, I didn't, I didn't even realize it was his first one, but it makes sense because he's not really one to put that's, on. That's what I didn't I didn't realize it, but that's why yeah. I read it yesterday. I don't, I don't know if it, maybe it was his first league or something. I, maybe because it's one he got scored before, but I, saw I thought he had scored. Maybe maybe it was Europa League or something where he had scored in the past. I yeah. don't know. I, I'm not sure, but I thought he had another strong performance. You know, again, him too. He was a little quiet against Lazio. He he didn't have his best match um, as most players did it against them, and I mm. thought he bounced back nicely. Um, so I was happy with his performance. I thought he worked hard again. He's, he's starting to turn that corner. And that, that's my biggest praise, I think, for Fonseca is turning around players like him. Uh, projects. Yeah, <laughs> players like Spinazzola who look like busts who Roma spent all this money on and they, they, they're not going to come to anything. And guess what? They're starting to show their goods. And, you know, he's 25 years old. He's right in the prime of his career. So yeah. um, he's turning into a player. You know, I think they do need a, a viable alternative if, if Perez is done after this year, which all indications seem to be. So hopefully if this Reynolds move goes through, he's a viable alternative because you can't lean on him every match. I think we're starting to see that with Spinazzola too. There are matches where they almost have to take off, so to speak, because, and same with Mkhitaryan, they start to get run into the ground. So I think they do need some viable alternatives at those positions, but I think those two have cemented their places unless someone throws some big money at them this summer for some reason. I think those are our starting wingbacks this season going into next, especially if Fonsec is around. Um, and I just checked in. It was his first Roma goal outside of of a friendly. I think a friendly was the only match he scored. Otherwise, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I have, I don't know. I, I, I really thought he'd scored before. Yeah, I I thought so too. Maybe I just, yeah, maybe I just associate Rick Castle with attacking no matter what. Yeah, I expect him to get on the goals. But uh, should should his his alternative Bruno Perez be on the way out the club this summer? We saw Bruno Perez pop up for the fourth goal with some beautiful control inside the box and composure um mm-hmm. bringing yeah. the ball down yeah and looking had the up assist and, yeah passing it to Pellegrini so what is Perez uh is Perez worthy of, a, of an extension or or you just is it just a nice way to wrap up his career and, and send him off wishing the best yeah it's it's tough because in the summer he looked really good and you know he hasn't stood out this year but like you keep saying he doesn't really put too much of a foot wrong in most of these matches so mm. I, as a backup who can play both wings you know if you can get him on a cheap contract I don't, I don't know how much he would be looking for in a renewal because rumors have him going to places like uh, i think sporting lisbon or places like that he's not going to get the most money yeah. there either yeah. if you can get him for a million a season a million and a half a season you could do a lot worse for someone with his versatility at 30 years old i think um yeah. you know you're not going to lean on him to start every match at right back like he was signed to do many years ago but yeah. could do worse in my opinion yeah i i agree with you i i, I I mean, I understand if people are willing to like just close the Bruno Paris chapter and, and say, okay, mm-hmm. well, we've redeemed you. But um, it's it's hard for me to ever say Perez uh, is is lacking this or lacking that. I mean, he's, he's never going to be the greatest defender, no. but compared comparative to everyone else in the team, I mean, we're not really that much of a defensive team anyway, no. especially from out wide. Like you said, you know, the, the wing backs we're relying on them to to move the ball up front. Um, I guess that's that's my one question mark over Perez is that he, he's not he's not a driver you know he's not yeah. he's not the strongest mover of the ball so maybe maybe in that sense there's a bit of incompatibility there with where the club wants to go and if they let him go it's probably because of that because we've seen where, where you know that they're, they're in again once again for Brian Reynolds who very much is one of those you know those physical dribblers that will yeah. just make space for himself so if, I guess they, they might be going in a different direction to what Bruno Perez is used to and, and that might be the reason why he's he's waved goodbye to the summer but if he is, I'm actually going to miss him. I would have never said that 12 months ago. So that's that's definitely a turnaround story there. Yeah, at least he, if he does leave after this season when the contract expires, at least he leaves with some kind of positive surrounding him yeah. because, you know, Roma's never going to get back the money they spent for him in terms of return on the dollar, but at least they've gotten something back this year. So it's not a complete yeah. and total bust, I guess you can say. Yeah. Um, like he, it was 18 months ago. Yeah, and he'll always be known as Pierre Doro for that, yeah. that one game against Shakhtar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and guess what? If it wasn't for him being on that line, then no, we, we never we have that Barcelona story to talk about. Exactly, so. exactly. So he's 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 woven into the club's history there. I guess um, him and Juan Jesus have something to to leave with. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, walking back into the club's history, there was a ghost from the past popping up against the, this week, uh, twice in one week. Daniele Verde, the diminutive uh, winger come forward who has found himself especially this year after being a bit of a journeyman around Europe, 
playing in AEK Athens, uh, then going to La Liga and uh, being a bit of a, a maverick at um, uh, Real Valladolid. Um, maverick in the best sense of the word, and that he he always he never lost that that penchant for spectacular goals. Mm-hmm. He scored some real stunners there in Spain, um, but it, it wasn't good enough um, to earn a permanent place there. And he's back in Italy now with Spezia, and uh, got two goals this week, like a cold clinical finisher that he is. So uh, why why didn't it work out for Verde at Roma? I, I tried to find out this week and and answer this question myself, but he's never really addressed it. He, he, he's only ever said that he really admires Rudy Garcia as a coach. Um, no praise for Spalletti, who, who was the guy who oversaw his exit. But um, why, why didn't it work out for Verde Roma? Yeah, I mean, he scores those spectacular goals. And guess what? He came back to <laughs> hurt Roma twice this week. Luckily, the second mm-hmm. one didn't really kill them like the first one did. But mm-hmm. I mean, I guess he's just maybe not up to par for a big club overall. I mean, we see he's even just coming off the bench for Spezia, who's like a lower half team. And he's been a journeyman. No no team that's taken him on loan has kept him around a second season and permanent deals or anything like that. So I guess, you know, with a player like him, sometimes the spectacular goals overshadow the overall player and it's no knock yeah. against him because we've seen plenty of Roma players come through the ranks at the Primavera level who turn into solid players elsewhere. Um, so I think you even have to rate him a little lower than players like Valerio Ovede, who's stuck around on pl- teams like Samp and Hellas and, and contributed and, you know some of those type players so i guess I, I was i was thinking he reminds me obviously not uh, of the of what what he actually ended up achieving at the end of his career but um at the same age maybe alessio churchy mm, because he was yeah. he was capable and spectacular but um very inconsistent as a player yeah he had that great year playing with chiro immobile he came back and then yeah just not, not so, didn't know. pan out yeah eventually he earned that mega money move to atletico which which yeah. sinked his career yeah he couldn't, he couldn't live up to it yeah, it was almost a similar situation with Immobile, but the Immobile came back and revived his career with Lazio when he went to Dortmund. So, yeah, same kind of idea, I guess, with with Cherchi. Never the big money move, but same kind of idea in the skill set, play the wing and score some nice goals. But, um, yeah. you know, it's always good to see Roma Primavera guys succeed elsewhere. It looks it, it reflects well, I think, on the, the system that we have in place. So I always like to root for those guys elsewhere, as long as they're yeah. not hurting us so I wasn't necessarily rooting for him in these matches but <laughs> always always good when I see those ex primavera names pop up on the score sheet like the bad days of the world I can't think of any others off the top of my head right now but he he's one that jumps yeah. out yeah no I agree with you I think I think Roma's still at this uh, current Caprati. time maybe a Caprati type uh, too Caprati. a little bit similar yeah yeah Ro- Roma at this time well actually uh, if we need to mention names, there are plenty of them especially there's Marquita there's Caprosi mm-hmm. there's, there's uh, Matteo Ricci so yes. yeah Ro- Roma is still the number one club in the, in the land for providing talent into the professional game, but unfortunately not always in set, at Serie A level, even though we've just mentioned names that have gotten to Serie A level this year. But uh, yeah, around the four leagues, uh, it tends to be Roma graduates who, who make up the, the better majority of uh, most teams. And uh, that's a you know, proud, mm-hmm. proud tradition that Roma can live up to. Um, we're going to move on to recap well not recap we've done a recap but uh, we're gonna move on to the, the week ahead look forward to what's coming up over this next week um steve i know i've, I've seen your, your head darting to the screen as, as, <laughs> as the match is going on so where where are hellas verona roma's next opponents what, what are they doing right now so at the time of our recording which is about five minutes into the second half of the match against Na- napoli they're at 1-1 so they're technically on 28 points which would still leave them in ninth place so most likely they enter the match against us on in ninth place because I think the best they could do is maybe level Sassuolo if Sassuolo yeah. loses today if they if they can win this match. Um, that'd, be, that'd be handy for keeping Napoli a bit though. If they yes, I'm, I'm hoping Verona gets a result out of this match, even if it is a yeah. draw, um, to keep them at bay. Um, yeah. You know, Roma will be at at the worst level on third with Napoli on 37 points, uh, mm-hmm. depending on the result of this match. Hellas probably ninth at t- somewhere between 27 and 30 points. So, you know, we will be going into this match favored, but we saw what happened the first time we played Hellas. It was a 0-0 draw to open the season. Roma a little bit lackluster in attack. Um, so, and then, of Back course, when we Pedro know... was just, just meeting everyone and yeah. just shaking hands. Yeah. Of course, we know what happened off the pitch with the whole DOR situation, which cost us the point, which would have made us third place no matter what. You know, we'd be mm. on 38 points, and even within striking distance of Inter, as crazy as that sounds... Um, you know, we picked up some ground on teams like that. So I don't think anybody in the top four has really secured a place. You know, Milan got handled yesterday by Atalanta. 
Inter drop points to Udinese. We could see other teams at Roma's competing with drop points between this match and the, the next match, which is Lazio-Udinese, um, Sassuolo rather. So, you know, Roma's right in the mix and in the thick of things, which is a, another, again, why I'd like Fonseca to stick around unless things go very bad late in the season. Um, so we'll see if Roma can, you know, correct their mistakes from the first match when they couldn't break down Hellas. Um, yeah, you, you've, been, you've been keen to, to highlight uh, Roma, uh, sorry, Verona's strong defensive record. Mm-hmm. They don't give up too many goals. So yes. what, what, what do you see as the, the key to Roma writing that, that record around this time around, avoiding another nil and actually breaking up in Verona? Is it, is it Mayoral's uh, greater, well, not, not necessarily greater, but great movement um, in, in terms of freeing himself up in space? Or is there, is there anyone else you see as key to, you know, really changing the record here? I, I think it, um, I think it could be, I think it could be Myral. I think getting in behind the defense, that was the mistake that um, Hellas made early in this match where, the, like I mentioned, DeMarco misplayed the ball over the top. Yeah. So it, it could be that. Um, I think if they can get Mkhitaryan back, Mkhitaryan and Pellegrini playing with Myral might be their best combination personally uh, yeah. because I don't know if the holdup play of Dzeko is really what they need against a team like this who would willingly concede possession to you because they would probably rather strike on the counterattack from what I've seen from this side yeah. in other matches. Yeah. And yeah. Silvestri is a, a tough, tough goalie to crack in, in goal. You have to really beat him with good shots. He saves what he's supposed to save. His, mm-hmm. um, you know, like they, they also track XG against goalies, you know, like expected goals that they yeah. should give up. Or And it's, he's it's right very, around. Very, it's a very convoluted formula. It's called like XG, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And um, I had done that goalie piece about a month ago comparing some goalies that Roma might be shopping for in the summer. And he his his expected goals against was right around where it should be meaning he stops everything he should stop he doesn't give up the things Paul Lopez gives up um, <laughs> but he also doesn't save I've noticed uh, a whole lot more than he should save so I think okay. the, the combination of not giving up a lot of shots on Verona side and him just being a good reflex goalie makes them yeah, tough to break down shutouts. yeah okay um what about and- um we mentioned uh, the Diawara incident costing points last uh, last game round of no of no fault of Amadouriar's own, of course. But um, uh, you know, we just saw Diawara come back almost from the dead, really, this week. Uh, yeah. Getting, uh, some game time against Spezia at this past weekend. Is is this the beginning of a mini rotation cycle where Diawara can come in and, and provide some of that defensive balance we've been talking about? I, this, I this you know, he he could be. You had mentioned tightening up a little bit later in matches when they're up, at, and maybe Fonseca adjusting there. He could be the player that helps us do that later in matches because he probably f- provides the best defensive cover in the double mm-hmm. pivot of the players we have. So maybe he can start to work his way back. Uh, I remember seeing in some of the comments on our forum to my probable formations piece that some play- people would like to see him in the rotation more, and I mentioned that. Unfortunately for him, that's the one position where we're, we're most healthy right now. So it's going to be hard yeah. for him to crack the starting 11, especially with VR there too. And then Pellegrini likely becomes a third option. Um, and um, sometimes Cristante even becomes fourth option there. So he's almost fifth option now in that double pivot. But I think he could play a role, especially with the five subs, which I mentioned in for other players and other roles this, this season. The five subs gives you that flexibility where you don't have to choose between throwing DOR into the mix for the last 15, 20 minutes to shore things up defensively and, and spelling one of your attacking players who's been working their rear end off the whole match or spelling Spinazzola who's been working his rear end off the whole match. You have five subs. And guess what? Right now, Roma doesn't really have five quality first team subs with all the injuries. So I I don't see why he couldn't be a part of it. Yeah, that's fair enough. Well, I think that that pretty much wraps everything up. I mean, we will be hoping for another successful result and hoping like to string together a couple of results just before the 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 big one looming in a couple of weeks time at the alliance arena uh that's that'll be in february i think mm-hmm. um yeah first week of february yeah well, what do you make of our chances is this finally going to put the the record straight on that top six rivals thing man i i hope so because we had them dead to rights in the first matchup this season and i still think juve is vulnerable i mean we saw it against inter last week inter i didn't get to watch the match but from everything i read and from the numbers i saw it looked like inter completely controlled that match and i think i, I didn't see it I didn't yeah see it. and i think roma you know coming off a, a draw against inter shows that if we can draw inter we can beat juve i think and we've proven yeah. in the first match we can beat them i just hope that um you know it will be an empty alliance arena so you don't have to worry about the, the crowd there and hopefully yeah. that helps Roma plays their favor a bit and they, they come out and they, they cut out these defensive errors by then because that's what's going to be make or we, break, so, I think. So if you say that, are we saying that Inter are officially a better side than Juve? 
Right now, I'd say yes. Okay. Yeah, so, I, I, so, I think Inter is the team to beat this year at this point. Okay. So who, who are your title favorites? Then? Are you putting Juve like in third place behind the Milans? I still don't. And the thing with Milan, I, I think, you know, sooner or later, I think they're going to start to drop some results, which we saw yesterday. So yesterday, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think Juve might actually play Milan next week. Let me double check. Um, I'll check real quick before we sign off. Yeah. But that is um, that could be a big, big factor going into it. Yeah. Some some teams' credentials are definitely up for yeah for question right now. Uh, Milan, I think, is definitely you know praise praise them for all they've done, but I think they're over. Uh, you Might know, running out of steam. Yeah, I think they're overachieving. Who's next well, week? They, they did they did cover their bets by getting Mario Mandzukic on the market. Is yeah, that a good move. Or... Oh no, Juve's got Samp next week, and Milan has Bologna. The the big match is Atalanta Lazio. So okay. I, I I misread that one. Must have misheard that, but. Um, you know, I think we're in the mix for top four for sure. I think, you know, Juve certainly still, you can't count them out of the title race because we saw it today. They got things done against Bologna when they should, yeah. um, but they have their work cut out for them. And I think they're more vulnerable this year for a team like us to beat them than any other year. I think that's become evident. Yeah. I guess what, what, what it boils down to is, is, is there that fear factor when, when we're facing Juve or do you, this year has that mystique kind of gone for you? I, 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 I hope you know, because we always know with Roma, the mentality sometimes gets in their way. I hope that they got overcame that fear factor by getting the draw in the first match and showing that they could take it to them. Um, yeah. And if it wasn't for that Ronaldo header, we'd be talking about Roma two more points in the table, Juve two less, and maybe Roma overcomes some of their demons in those other matches, maybe. I don't know, but yeah. Um, yeah. I, well, I hope the fear factor is gone. I hope so too. Well, we'll have plenty of time to, to look forward to it in the coming weeks. Um, and uh, even though this has been a, a uh, an extensive recap of uh, the week gone by, we'll be back very soon this week. Uh, we'll be back with a midweek review because it's the checkpoint. It's the halfway through the season officially right now. Uh, we'll be recapping off uh, our fears, our hopes that we went into the this season with and, and how we're doing with them. If uh, if Paul Lopez is doing any good job of uh, allaying those fears for us. <laughs> but um, yeah, we'll be back midweek with the next episode, but this has been episode 25. Uh, Steve, thanks for joining me. And as usual, if, if somehow you don't know, even though you listen to this podcast, we are available on all the major networks, Spotify, Google, Apple, Apple Podcasts, you know, wherever you're listening to us, we're available. And uh, if ever there's anything you want us to change on the show, you want to give us some feedback, find us on Twitter or on the forum, kz.totti.com. We always listen out and uh, yeah, we're always improving. So thanks for joining us and, and stick with us for this uh, next episode coming to you midweek. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.